thanks for coming, kids. Stay. Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row, an alternative and cult cinema review site and podcast. My name is Dan Gorman and I'm here as always with... Carlo von Stippout. Yeah, Carlo. And this is another episode of Hoser Horror. If you've listened to the Back Row podcast before, you'll know that we do lots of different types of episodes we describe it as if it is a, mag- a magazine or newspaper subscription for your podcatcher. Carlo and I were talking about Canadian horror movies, and we're just doing episodes of double features, and that's exactly what you're listening to right now. If you'd like to get in touch with Back Row Cinema Blog, you can do so at backrowcineblog at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at backrowcineblog. So... Um, as I mentioned, Hoser Horror, this is just the, our little pocket of back row uh, where Carlo and I can talk about two Canadian horror movies. Today, we're talking about one um, very popular film and one lesser popular film. Um, but I, I would say the kind of binding factor here is that they're both sort of kid horror adjacent. Hmm. Would you agree? I would agree. And they also have... Two very good boys. Yes, two cast. dogs. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was looking for like connective tissue. <laughs> that was kind of the only thing I came up with. But yeah, I guess they're both like teenish horror yeah. and kid horror. Like the gates definitely intended to be kid horror. Yeah. But, and yeah. Watchers is rated R, but is you know uh, focuses around a a kind of teenaged boy and his dog mm. kind of thing. So yeah. yeah. Um, I like that you named our recording session the Ballad of Furface and Angus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two very good boys. Yeah. The names of the dogs. Yeah. So let's get right into it with The Gate from 1987. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. Someone has opened the gate. I mean, you guys are serious about that demon stuff? Demons? What kind? You've been bad! This stars Stephen Dorff, Krista Denton, Lewis Tripp, Kelly Rowan, and more, and is directed by Tibor Takis. I think it's like 
Tibor Takas. Tibor, yeah. Because it's Hungarian, like okay. the CS at the end, that probably becomes like, sh- a sh- my best hunch is Tibor Takas. <laughs> okay. The logline to this film is, pray it's not too late. And the synopsis is, three young children accidentally release a horde of nasty, pint-sized demons from a hole in a suburban backyard. What follows is a classic battle between good and evil as the three kids struggle to overcome a nightmarish hell that is literally taking over the earth. Um, this movie, uh, for me was a big one because when I was in high school, I would say I started to get interested in Canadian horror films. And this was one Mm. where it not only had that, oh, it's, you know, shot in Toronto. Oh, it's shot in Ontario. But it also had one of those like, oh, it's an early appearance of a known actor, Stephen Dorff. Have you seen Mm. that movie with him and where he's like a kid in it? Yeah. And you had seen this before, right? Uh, I seen like most of it probably but kind of like checked out toward the end which is insane like um (laughs) because that's where all the good shit is (laughs) um but no i'm kind of like notorious for like growing up kind of a scaredy cat never seen a lot of horror and i think the first time i put this on was like i don't know like over a decade ago and for some reason it just wasn't really vibing with me i hadn't seen a lot of horror movies at that point like during my teens, I watched a lot of like Friday 13 and Nightmare on Elm Street, but those were a lot of major franchises, kind of hard to miss, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'd never gotten around to the gate until like, I'd say like 10-ish years ago, but at the time it didn't click for me. This time it totally did. So <laughs> um, it's 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 a delight. Uh, yeah, this is a real good movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I can kind of understand it not clicking because... It is a movie that is very, not slow paced, but very kind of deliberately paced. And it is very mm. back heavy with all the effects. But I've seen movies where by the time it got to the point where there was tons and tons of crazy things happening, I was checked yeah. out. So I, I can understand that. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think like one of my major like first horror movie crushes were like Evil Dad, Evil Dead 2. And those mm-hmm. movies are like they're just loaded, like from start to finish. It just goes and goes and goes. So at one point that just becomes like your standard <laughs> it's really hard to live up to yeah. for other movies but this movie like you say it's more deliberate in its pace and holding back some of the crazier stuff that happens later on because there is a huge payoff if you stick with it yeah and it's not like it's a chore sitting through it like the mood is really great mm-hmm. um i think what kind of ticked me off a little when i first tried watching it is because you know it's 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 a kid's horror and in more ways than one like there's a bunch of shit in this movie that is very effective in i think scaring kids i i wonder mm-hmm. how i would have reacted to this movie if i saw it as a kid like it probably would have scared the shit out of me because <laughs> even as an adult it's still pretty effective some stuff in there like i can totally I was really into it, um, mm-hmm. kind of getting a little too creeped out than I'd like to. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I, it's I mean, good. It's, what I wanted to say is that it's not necessarily a cohesive, a very cohesive movie or like it doesn't do a great job at like explaining things or even developing character or plot. It just kind of does stuff. Yeah, I would say the most like developed character in 
in maybe the movie is the is the best friend who's a metalhead, mm, you know, yeah. because he has a very like defining quirk to him, which is the metal and the records. And he is the one that kind of un- understands what's going on in yeah. the gate, you know, at on a more of a level than St- Stephen Dorff's character. So, yeah, I feel like he, he's kind of a little bit the most developed of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right about the scares, because when I saw this in high school, mm-hmm. um, I remember my friend got really freaked out at this scene. Um, and this is such a great scene where the main character played by Stephen Dorff goes outside thinking that his parents who have left for the weekend are back. Oh, yeah. And the dad picks <laughs> him up and then um, starts to, like, hurt Steven Dorf. So Steven yeah. Dorf pushes his hands up against his dad's head and his head caves in and all this goo comes out. Mm. And I guess like my friend had some kind of a phobia of like his face caving in or something. And he was oh, like, fuck. oh my God, <laughs> like he was freaking out. Like it was, it was oh, some fuck. oddly specific note that it hit on for him and just him freaking out of it has always made that such a memorable scene for me where it's like there's all these things that feel oddly specific in in how the movie scares you know its audience and i think it's i think it was really effective that way uh yeah i can totally relate to that like the face melting stuff like i've i've (laughs) definitely had a dream as a kid where i felt like my eyeballs were just like (laughs) rotting away into like gooey pus and shit so it's it's all like the kind of shit that scares a kid you know like things that don't necessarily add up but just like conceptually things that really hit you and yeah this time i just i i got on that level and and i'm glad i finally like made the click with this movie like i feel like it happens a lot where i try a move for the first time and i'm just not ready to like appreciate it but then i have collect more movie baggage along the way and then i'm ready properly appreciate a movie and that's definitely what happened here yeah and so basically to like expand upon the synopsis a little bit it's about you know steven dorf's character and in his in his backyard a tree is struck by lightning and falls over in his dream and then he wakes up to reveal that it actually happened and what ultimately happens is um the hole in the ground from the tree opens up a gate to the other side where demons can come out and so him and his friends have to figure out why and battle them and another thing that i think that really works for this movie which is actually something that it was criticized at the time of release is is that it's very it has that kind of spielbergian family Mm. movie kind of like suburban vibe where these these creatures are coming in to you know invade something that's something that's known and safe which is like your home but Mm -hmm. i i think it really is effective in that way even with some of the shallow characterizations you get stuff like the idea of these like um people bursting out of the walls yeah. at the end of the movie um and like the little the way the little imps kind of run around mm-hmm. the house like there's just the way that they kind of choose all these different angles of attack on like this very safe suburban home is just mm-hmm. very like satisfying <laughs> yeah i also thought it was interesting like a thing that didn't really work for me the first time is the way like steven Dorse character he's kind of like a nothing kid really yeah and an every kid yeah definitely an every kid and then he gets like well he doesn't get abandoned by his parents but his parents like go off on a trip and um it's up to his older sister to babysit him basically so you never really get that like cozy family vibe in this yeah. movie which is a thing that you definitely experience in like a more spielbergian amblin movie you know mm-hmm. um but that's the thing I was 
kind of missing in this movie the first time I gave it a go, but this time it just added to like the whole kids being left alone mm -hmm. to take care of themselves and just not necessarily like all the shit in the in, in the reality of the movie, all this is happening, but like say the writer who wrote this script. I think I read that he like got a lot of inspiration from his own childhood. Yeah, I think it said that he he was like recently divorced, recently unemployed and decided like I'll make this movie with all these fucked up things from my childhood that I yeah, thought of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that that totally it worked for me this time. And like I said, just the whole concept of being left alone with your own imagination, no adults to like give you a reality check or anything just really well done i think <laughs> it's 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 crazy how i did like a 180 on this movie but i'm i'm glad i did because <laughs> then you go into the, like the finale and it's it's a pretty big finale like it's uh i think it's like the entire last half hour yeah where shit just hits the fan man <laughs> yeah and, and and this movie does a thing that can be the death knell for a movie of this type which is you know it has that okay we figured out how to defeat the monsters and send them back to their world using the record and all the like backwards you know chanting that we found in this heavy metal record and etc etc <laughs> classic yeah <laughs> and and then everything is okay but oh wait no it's not okay and it's actually worse now and here's yeah. 20 more minutes of the movie and sometimes <laughs> that kind of fake out ending can make you like feel like a movie is way longer than it is mm -hmm. and it definitely makes this movie feel a little longer than it actually is but the the fun thing is that's when you know they really start breaking out the big guns of the special effects and the perspective shots and the and the stop motion monsters yeah. and and also i found one thing that was really effective about this movie is it does a lot of that little like setup and payoff um visual stuff like there's a scene where the whole house is breaking and the monsters coming out from the gate which is like you know like a hole now under the house and the whole floorboards fall in and there's this mm -hmm. one little shot of like the flashlight falling off the stairs in and amidst all this other sh all these other shots of like things breaking and falling yeah. over and stuff and then later he he finds that flashlight and picks it up and it's just like a simple little thing where it was just shown enough for you to recognize that a flashlight fell in a certain place, but it wasn't telegraphed so much that I was like, oh, mm. oh, great. Here we go. He's going to find the flashlight at the right moment or he's going to find the yeah, yeah, the yeah. rocket like, at the right moment. It's just just well enough executed that it's not so in your face about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that when movies do that well, you know, like they just hide loaded guns. Yeah so to speak, around the place and <laughs> you don't really give it any thought until yeah. it comes back. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And here they have the rocket thing that they come back to where like he was supposed to fire off this model mm. rocket and he wasn't allowed to and so on. And there's this kind of like, you know, maybe the relationship isn't there between him and his family. And there's a little bit of emotional stuff there with the rocket. But when it does come back at the end of the movie, it's not like, I wasn't sitting there waiting for the rocket to come back. No, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Going back to the effects for a little bit. I mean, man, do the effects in this movie hold up? <laughs> it's like, like, obviously we love practical effects. And even when they don't necessarily hold up or are like state of the art, like even at the time, the ones in this had me do some double takes. Like, yeah. how the fuck did they do this? Because like <laughs> the first time you see those little imps running around i'm like 
this isn't fucking animation. That's like people in suits, but how the fuck even? Yeah, uh, it's like people in suits, but, you know, like with the force perspective, but then also maybe some yeah. undercranking or something because they all kind of have that stuttery kind of sped up, you know, it makes mm. it really creepy. Yeah, it's so effective. Like it's it's like seeing it, I was like, this has to be a combination of all different kinds of effects. Mm. Like they're working some real magic in this movie. Yeah, like the force perspective thing. I feel like does that even get used anymore? Like in the day of like computer I effects, I don't think it's necessary at all. But man, when people do that right, it looks so fucking amazing. Do you remember that movie? Um, we streamed for the Chud Buddies, uh, Steve Wang movie, Kung oh, Fu Rascals. Yes. Yeah. They did some crazy shit with Force Perspective and that <laughs> as well. Like with the, yeah. in the ending with the stone giants and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so dope. Yeah. And I saw like some sketches of the way they do that. It's an entire crazy, insane process where mm. you really have to know what you're doing and, um, yeah, I just get a kick out of that shit. You know, that's like practical effects to the next level. That's really, uh, it's yeah. it's it's such a pity that it's lost to this age, man. Yeah, and even the stuff in here that you know, you 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 kind of almost think, okay, it's gonna look kind of goofy. Like there's a mm. scene at the end where the huge monster, um, which is such a cool creation, yeah. picks up the main character, and then the main character kind of turns into a little model of the yeah, main character. Like it's cute, kinda, it's yeah. cool, like. <laughs> And there's some really interesting stuff that I feel like is, I don't know if it goes back to the writer and him talk, talking about the like nastiest thoughts from his childhood, but mm -hmm. there's the scene that always stuck with me when the the little monster demon thing's arm gets caught in the door and yeah. then the arm falls to the ground and turns into stop motion little yeah. like slugs. I fucking, that scene I could just watch over and over again. I, it's just, mm. it's one of those little moments that's just so unexpected. Like you think it's going to fall yeah. and hit the ground and just hit the ground, but then it turns into something else and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> I mean, stop motion is the fucking best anyway. Yeah. Like uh, even outside of the context of that scene these little surprises in this movie. Uh, it's all—it's almost like it reminds me a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Like with the phone, you know, mm. melting. It just seems like every yeah, every couple yeah. scenes, there's a new fun effect of some sort. It, it's just people being creative and being allowed to be creative and given the means to be creative, you know? Uh, and that's such a joy to watch in every yeah. way. And it's cool it. that <laughs> this movie... You know, so IMDb says the budget was six million. It was like kind of mm. a sleeper hit when it came out. Um, it made a a box office of like thirteen point five million, so it like mm. doubled its budget on its box office. So it's kind of like cool that this movie that was a co-production. Um, so it's not entirely Canadian, but Alliance Entertainment's yeah. a Montreal company. They they were part of the production, and then there's a bunch of other companies um, involved. Mm -hmm. So. It's, canadian united states co-production but yeah this like i just really like it when these kind of creative movies become these sleeper hits yeah absolutely popular um, enough for a sequel too yeah that i <laughs> happened to happen to watch in, in yeah. my euphoria after seeing the first one <laughs> which is always kind of like uh, a risky thing to do <laughs> yeah but i said fuck it i uh, just want to see what this is all about uh, it's, i i th i think you it's a 
it's a rite of passage for people that see the gate because mm. you see the gate <laughs> and you love it. And then you see the gate to colon trespassers and you're like, oh, it's also directed by Tibor. It's, yeah. It also stars uh, Lewis Tripp, the guy from the original who played the metalhead best friend yeah. in his only other uh, role, apparently. Yeah. So you think, OK, same team for yeah. the most part. It must be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It's I not mean, how, really. How, how bad can it be? And. <laughs> It's it's definitely not the worst, but it's no the gate one. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. There's just something out about like the whole atmosphere that's a bit a little less charming and also notable in that movie is starring Pamela Adlon, who I always enjoy a lot. But like other than her, and there's a couple of moments like even effects wise, it's not the same as the gay one yeah even effects wise in the first one you get a bunch of little imps and yeah. a bunch of other crazy creative shit and in this one you get like one imp some <laughs> crazy masks at the end and yeah too bad i mean it's, yeah. it's it's not the worst movie you can you can watch it and not like hate yourself for <laughs> wasting time on it but uh, I, I, um I just wouldn't recommend it. Totally. Definitely not directly after watching the first game. <laughs> like, leave some time in between yeah. if you have to do it. Like, don't be an idiot like me. <laughs> the gate, it rules. It's full of awesome stuff that you will be drawn to. Sweet effects. And, you know, it's, it's a must-see for me. And in terms of mm. how Canadian it is, I would say for a co-production, it's actually surprisingly Canadian. Um, the sort of suburban Toronto, Ontario and mm. Kleinberg, Ontario filming locations feel very Canadian. There's some like uh, references um, on the back of Terry's jacket. He's got a killer dwarves, uh, killer dwarfs band from Toronto uh, logo on the back. And oh, yeah, okay. it feels it feels kind of Canadian. It just feels mm. small town, suburban Canadian. Yeah, that's true. I was keeping my eyes for like Canadian stuff. I couldn't really pick anything out. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, like just the vibe of the movie. And well, obviously shot in Toronto and Climber. Yeah. Um, but as for the cast, I don't think any Canadians there really. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if there's any super notable Canadians. No, not really. Well, I know Dorf isn't. but And, and, and the director, Tibor Takash, he's, in, he's a Hungarian guy. But yeah. I don't know what. Yeah, it looks like Jennifer Irwin was mm. uh, is born in Toronto. Oh, okay. um, oh, Louis Tripp, obviously, he only really in The Gate of the Gate 2. He yeah. was uh, born in St. Catharines. Oh, so okay. some Canadian... Uh, Canadian well, home, that's, homegrown that's, heroes. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there is one kind of like, there's some problematic language in this The casual movie. 80s homophobia that finds yeah, its way just, into every children's movie. Yeah, yeah, just real casual problematic yeah. language. Uh, that is kind of like, I guess it's realistic in the sense that this is what stupid kids in the 80s would say. <laughs> yeah, but, this is what they were saying, but... It kind of shatters the vibe. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, a little, a little. So let's go from The Gate in 1987 over to Watchers in 1988. Who escaped? GH3. The dog. And one of the 
and it may just cost him his life. You know what happened to Tracy's, don't you? Travis had a dog. No, no pets. GH3? It's a cult. You're a research animal. That's why you're so smart. They created the perfect killer. As long as he's with the dog, his life is in danger. Now, how are they going to stop it? It's up to you, isn't it? Corey Haim stars in Watchers. From the best-selling science fiction thriller by Dean R. Koontz. This stars Michael Ironside and Corey Haim. Jason Priestley's in there. Uh, <laughs> Blue Mankuma, Barbara Williams, and more. Directed by John Hess and written by Bill Freed and Damian Lee. The, uh, the log line is, it started as a secret experiment. It ended up as a new breed of terror. And the synopsis is a boy takes in a stray dog, later finding out that it is an ultra-intelligent runaway from a genetic research lab. Unknown to him, the dog is being stalked by another escaped creature that's not quite so friendly. <laughs> so I couldn't find the budget for this, but this was like a mm. box office bomb at the time. I think it, it, oh. it didn't even make a million dollars Wait, um, from Wait. what I read. This movie has three sequels. Yeah. How does well, that... it probably did well on video. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah. Imagine that. Your movie bombing, but, well, here's three directing <laughs> Netflix sequels, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is another co-production, but a co-production that's maybe even a little bit more Canadian than The Gate because it's, it's a Roger Corman um, production under the Concord Pictures, but it's also... Um, co-produced by Rose and Ruby Productions, which is Damien Lee's company. And Damien Lee, we will remember from yeah. such films as Gnaw, Food of the Gods 2, or Ski School, and some other very um, very um, famous Canadian movies. Um, Abraxas, Garden of Abraxas, the Universe. Abraxas, yeah. Let's not forget. <laughs> Still haven't <Yeah>. seen it. <laughs> yeah, so this one, it's like, yeah, co-written by a Canadian and co-produced by a Canadian, so... It's a bit more mm. in the production realm of uh, Canadian than The Gate. Um, and also, there was some trivia on IMDb that Paul Haggis, um, who people will know as a screenwriter for Million Dollar Baby, and he made the movie Crash from 2005, which is garbage. Oh, boy. Um, oh boy. <laughs> he's a big Canadian name. He was a, he was gonna he wrote the original screenplay, but by the time the movie came out um, or was in production... I guess there was some kind of a strike and he didn't want to do any more writing. And so it was mm. like handed back to Damien Lee who did more writing and ended up, you know, um, doing, getting most of the credit. And I guess Bill Freed is like a pseudonym for Paul Haggis, I guess. Oh, some okay. sort. <laughs> this one has a rocky road to production because it's also based on a Dean R. Kuntz book. But Dean himself has kind of in the past said like, well, that, that movie has like nothing to do with my book so i disown it <laughs> yeah yeah i i read a little about that like apparently uh cory haim who's the main character in this movie in the book he's just an adult person yeah. for example <laughs> um yeah apparently has very little to do with the book so <laughs> uh, it's happened before where movies that were based on books where i was like really could this thing really be based on a book because they're so psycho pike yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, for example, Psycho Bike. Uh, there's so little to this movie. Like, how would you read an entire book about this? But yeah, sure, fine. 
Yeah. Um, that explains a lot, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would love to know what those like earlier screenplays were like, because the thing mm. about Watchers is it's not a good movie. <laughs> I I have some, you know, some good feelings towards it just on a kind of dumb B-movie level in mm. that I, I kind of have some fun with this movie. But it does feel like a movie that is, you know, scrapped together from bits and pieces because the way that they outline the plot so the movie is about a research lab that blows up and a dog runs away and then we find out that actually the dog was a part of this experiment where we have these monsters and mm. we've trained them to want to kill a dog and so then we send a dog into like the you know the enemy territory so that the monster will then go in almost like a missile and take care of everybody and yeah. it's just like what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you've completely <laughs> lost me. I'm like, wait, what? This this is just about a dog who it, a dog who can use the computer. That's what this movie is about yeah. for me. <laughs> and it's all kind of laid out like immediately and with no, you know, no drive to it. It's just like, so anyway, we've got these <laughs> That's how you know you're in and yeah, in trouble when a movie when a movie needs like information dumps like that. That's that's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah, and it's all around like a shadowy corporation, which mm. I guess is again a long running thing on this show. Very Canadian to have that kind of like <laughs> shadowy, you know, pseudo medical kind of corporation. Yeah, I think one of the earlier scenes is uh, Michael Ironside on a boat, kind of laying it out for everybody after the explosion. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it it all you know serves the purpose to get this dog this super smart dog into the hands of Corey mm-hmm. Corey Haim who then kind of is you know figuring out the plot of like this dog's super smart and he's actually from this genetic research lab and there's a monster out there killing people and we got to figure out what to do yeah yeah uh, I was on Letterboxd just before recording and I saw a review of someone who said Corey Hay meets a dog in this movie and he immediately feeds the dog a chocolate candy bar like a total <laughs> asshole. I said that to Emma when we were watching it. I was like, they just split a chocolate bar. Yeah. Do you know nothing about dogs yeah. at all? Like, oh. This dog's stomach's going to be twisted. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the dog in this movie does some typing on a computer. I will say the first time I saw this movie, you know, I had hmm. such a great time watching it almost entirely because... I, I had such a great surprise with all the stuff they're going to do with this dog. You know, mm-hmm. they have the dog bark to identify presidents and they have him type on a computer with a pencil and, you know, bark yes once and twice for no and all this stuff. And it just yeah, like really <laughs> delighted me to no end how smart the dog was in this movie. Mm-hmm. So revisiting it for this was a bit of a letdown because it like the the sort of hilariousness of the super smart dog <laughs> had worn off on this. You know, I still mm-hmm. think it's a fun, dumb movie, but I was definitely like, oh man, I'm just here for the dog this time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the movie has some like B movie monster movie charm to it. Like, yeah. I won't deny that, but like at a certain point I was like, okay, this thing's running on fumes. I'm all, I'm also here only for the dog at this point. <laughs> and yeah, some good dog scenes for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really, some... really smart fucking dog. <laughs> and Michael Ironside, as always, is putting in a hundred and ten percent, chewing True. up the, you know, <laughs> he's a he's a scary, scary man. Like, yeah, no matter what movie I see him in, I'm just terrified, and I, 
I'm glad I've never met Michael Ironside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's intimidating, man. <laughs> like, he looks like he killed someone and got yeah. away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was fun to see Jason Priestley show up in a very small role. A very small role no. with very big hair energy. Even if a lot of that role was just to call his friend fat, I just like, I hate that, like, the fat best friend who always gets picked on, you know, yeah. archetype. Yeah. They really well, lean into that in this movie. 80s gonna 80s. 80s gonna well. 80s. <laughs> yeah, there is some good dialogue. I liked uh, when somebody goes, how smart is this thing? And then the other person goes, how smart's a crazy person? Yeah, yeah, I put that <laughs> note down, but I was like... I don't remember the context of this note, but I also put that note down because I was like, oh, holy shit, this dialogue, this, yeah. this, this is good stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I, was, I don't know. How smart is a crazy person? Yeah, is that is pretty <laughs> go smart. On. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's like, you know, basically that's dodging an answer because you don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like a scene where they're in the uh, woods and Jason Priestley and, and friends with mullets are running away oh, from the fuck. monster. That was good. Yeah. Mullet game strong, man. Jesus. Jeez. Yeah. That one guy, the curly mullet. Yeah. Jesus. He's like, <laughs> I like uh, in my notes, I put down like the curly hair kid's mullet is like Eugene Levy and Cannibal Girls level epic. <laughs> It's just, the, <laughs> yeah, too much hair for one kid, man. The bar uh, <laughs> that all mullets will be judged by. <laughs> well, not necessarily mullets, but yeah, that's that's like a, a hair meter and like way up there. It's Eugene Levy and Cannibal Girls. Yeah, yeah for Respect. sure. <laughs> <laughs> this was made right after License to Drive. So I guess Haim is like, I don't know if this is, you know, License to Drive was one of the kind of peak levels of the Corey of the Corys. Mm. But I feel like this was almost kind of like must have been made around the same time. And so it came out after License to Drive was made, but before it came out and was huge. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. what I feel like. That's the vibe you get off this this movie. Because I feel like otherwise it probably would have done better at the box office if it had come yeah, I you mean, know, that long enough after. Yeah, I mean, like late 80s, early 90s, those guys were crazy popular. So, um, yeah. yeah, it must have been just a bit too soon for him to have hit really big. But, yeah. The uh, the dog in this movie plays Scrabble. <laughs> oh, that's a good scene as well. Scrabble he spells scene. out, like, <laughs> danger, I stay, you die. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the danger part is when he's on the computer like <laughs> it's pretty funny actually yeah. like at one point during this movie like it was kind of slowing down i was like wait why does dan like this movie and then, <laughs> then the scene happens and the dog's like typing on the computer like he has a pencil in his mouth and he's just like typing out words on the computer and he types <laughs> d a n i'm like he, he types yeah. dan that's why dan likes this movie because the dog spell out his name but <laughs> then some more letters come and he's like yeah spelling out danger i will admit <laughs> the first time i watched that i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah right i mean i get it i totally do yeah but yeah then afterwards in the um is it in the scrabble game no it's not in the scrabble game i think there's a later moment in the movie where there's another computer and he he types out i stay you die yeah like the dog I think that's the, the Scrabble he says I man. stay you die mm, yeah. yeah 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 but the Scrabble scene was kind of funny like uh, I kind of made myself chuckle at that scene because 
the dog's playing Scrabble with Corey Haim. Yeah. And the dog puts down DZ. And for a, <laughs> oh, yeah. for, for a split second, I was like, wait, these nuts? <laughs> <laughs> little joke for myself there yeah you gotta find ways to entertain yourself wherever you can you gotta <laughs> absolutely you gotta like yeah. especially with with some of these movies man um just yeah and and so like um the director uh john hess yeah. he did uh, excessive force and alligator 2 and 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 i think this movie uh looks pretty good it has a kind of moody lighting and i think it has a kind of it looks like it's a big budget movie from you know the way it's shot it it has like a fun monster movie vibe but yeah it just mm -hmm. it's it's just not quite there and and True. you know the idea of the dog and the monster being linked together is like a fun idea but it doesn't really get capitalized on much like it like the movie is just a monster movie where monster attacks kind of happen wherever it doesn't really matter that yeah. the, that he's trying to find the dog that much it doesn't feel like there's stakes there no no exactly like it doesn't feel very well thought out like they try to like you say they try to add this level of like the dog and the monster are linked but i'm like that doesn't need to be there that yeah. plot point i mean it could just be like a monster broke loose like why okay the dog's a super smart dog but whatever um it just feels a little undercooked everything um yeah. like even though it's based on the book so there should be more interesting stuff to mine there but i guess like all of that just got you know kind of fudged yeah what's up with the eye snatching as well you yeah know? they it's another thing that feels like a an element of like the script or the book that like has made yeah. it through a bunch of rewrites where now it's like and now i guess he just takes eyeballs and yeah, we, we already shot those eyeball scenes, so, you know, it's a horror movie, so we got to have a little bit gore. Why not keep the eye snatching? Yeah. And is this why this movie is called Watchers? <laughs> yeah. Why is this movie called Watchers, then? Yeah. I it's, It must have something to do with the eyeball thing. Yeah. Well, we watched Watchers. <laughs> so you don't have to watch Watchers. <laughs> yeah. I recommend it for dog fans only. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, I also watched Watchers 2, so you don't oh, have to watch Watchers 2. So, Why do you do this to yourself? I don't know. I'm morbidly curious. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's funny because you we had made a crack about like, oh, maybe I'll watch, or you had made the crack about maybe I'll watch The Gate 2 and Watchers 2, and then if we ever had a Patreon, we'll have like a bonus <laughs> episode, and then... We I'm were just, like, ah, ha, ha, that's funny, but we don't have a Patreon, and <laughs> and then you just did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just do it because I don't know, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'm just giving it out for free, you know. Yeah. Like, why, why buy the Carlo if you can get <laughs> yeah. the information for free? <laughs> yeah, follow Carlo goes boom on Letterbox and get it for free. <laughs> get it for free. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm not having a patron for my Letterbox just yet. <laughs> but yeah. Please don't watch Watchers 2. Well, I I want to say it's the same dog in the movie, but maybe not. It came out two years after the first one. I think it's from 1990. And it's basically the same movie, except in this sequel. And instead of Corey Haim, you get an actual adult man, like was intended. <laughs> Mark uh, Singer. By Dean Koontz. Yeah, Mark Singer, the original Beastmaster. 
Um, <laughs> not so much a master of beasts in this movie. No. Because the dog's definitely the alpha in that relationship. But <laughs> Is there more, like, in Watchers 2, is there more super smart dog doing amazing things? Not really. Like, Aww. everything you've gotten out of the first movie in terms of that, you will get, I think, a little bit less even in the sequel. I haven't watched Watchers, Watchers 3 or 4. Get on it. I'm going to say yet, because... <laughs> Who knows, man? Like, yeah. at this point, I'm not feeling it. I've had enough watchers. But the third one stars Wings Hauser. Oh. So that's kind of Sign a draw. Me up. That's kind of a draw for me. And it's also apparently like a Predator movie. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I'm in. So that sounds good in theory, but I know I'm going to regret that. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of movies sound good in theory. So Yeah. Uh, and, the, and the fourth one, the only thing I know about that is that Mark Hamill is in it. So, you well. know mark hamill in that late 90s slump well everything post star wars slump, yeah. basically post if, and pre-new star wars yeah if you don't uh watch watchers three and four who will i don't know exactly yeah so watchers um in terms of its canadianness it's shot in vancouver again something that uh before emma fell asleep she has an eagle eye for that kind of a thing was immediately like this is in vancouver isn't it <laughs> i looked it up i was like okay yeah and then she was like okay and then fell asleep because this movie's not very great <laughs> <laughs> what if she was already asleep and she just yeah. wakes up this is in vancouver and she falls asleep again <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um these both of these movies are pretty like mid-level Canadian. I think they both have the feel. Mm. They were both co-produced and then they were both shot, you know, in various Canadian locations. So, you know, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. I, pretty, I'm surprised pretty, pretty, pretty. that um, as I was looking on Canucksploitation.com, one of the best places to go for your uh, Canadian B movie and film knowledge. I didn't Absolutely. see that they had a review for the for watchers and so i thought that was surprising because it it does seem to be pretty canadian i'm um with the damian lee and the haggis connection and yeah and i mean the cast as well like hames canadian ironside's canadian so yeah so it's it's pretty canadian yeah yeah absolutely more so than the gate yeah um although i gotta say the gate gets into the canadian canon of of horror cinema and i mean watchers is extended uh knowledge for oh, sure yeah, yeah yeah like not even debating that one bit um, <laughs> watchers is yeah it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah watchers is like put it on on a weekend with very low expectations and you'll have a couple laughs and the gate is like put this on with some friends and like watch it intently yeah. and you'll really enjoy it <laughs> yeah absolutely get into yeah. it like uh, take your yeah. time <laughs> so that's our episode of many connections we had uh sharing the kiddo horror blame the ballad of Furface and angus <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah just in general co-productions kiddo mm-hmm. horror dog horror monsters yeah. like they seem kind of like a random pairing when i suggested them but eventually yeah yeah it all worked makes out. sense <laughs> absolutely um, it's my plan all along Otherwise, uh, you can find us online at backdashrow.com. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, let us know if you have thoughts about Hoser Horror and any of the other podcasts on Notes from the Back Row at backrowcineblog at gmail.com. And Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is also backrowcineblog. 
Um, as mentioned earlier on the show, Carlo Goes Boom is where you can find Carlo on Letterboxd, and I am Y-C-K-M-D underscore on Letterboxd. And those are our Twitters as well, right? Exactly. I, yeah, and I do want to say, like, we haven't got any email, so if you listened all the way to the end of this episode, t- send us an email. Do Like, do you have any requests for Canadian horror? We're just yeah, going to go through yeah. and watch whatever. <laughs> Yeah, we won't listen to your email, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, if you don't email us, <laughs> we'll just do whatever. But if you have any requests... And if you email us, yeah, then we might consider. <laughs> yeah, so uh, reach out, let us know what you think of the show. If you want us to cover something specifically, get to it sooner rather than later, we'll we'll take that into account. Totally. And uh, otherwise, there is more Hoser Horror on the horizon. There is more uh, from Carlo and I and everybody else at Back Row in the feed on the way. So keep uh, subscribed and and we'll see you next time in the Back Row. And uh, keep watching The Watchers. Yeah. Because who else is watching The Watchers? We do. (laughs) We do. (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) Good ending. Okay.